When you want to remember something, what do you do? All right, I heard it. How many of you write it down somewhere? How many of you are beyond writing it down? So you use some kind of an electric alarm, electronic, your phone, your computer. How many of you have ever had a conversation with Michelle Lulai and seen her do this? Yeah. Yes, you know that. Michelle does this. If, you're, if you are ever having a conversation with her and she does this, it's not that she's hoping that you'll finish. It's not that she's wishing for luck. This is her little method to remind herself of something. My favorite is if she does it but can't remember. But that hasn't happened yet. But I've tried to do that. I've, I've picked that up a little bit. And so sometimes I'll be talking and I'll kind of do it off to the side because I don't want people to clearly think I'm crazy. But uh, she's beyond that. But uh, then I'll look and I'll be like, now why did I cross my fingers? And so anyways, would you agree that the more important something is to us, the less we want to forget it, right? The more important something is to us, the less we want to forget it. Birthdays, that was important to us. Anniversaries, those are important. Anybody ever forgotten an anniversary? Well, praise the Lord, what we saw in Jeremiah, the iniquities have been forgotten, right? Uh, my favorite is if you'll ask Tara what day we were married, she'll tell you she can't get it straight. And this year will only make eight years, so I never feel any pressure. We, can, we just have a range of days we can celebrate our anniversary, and so it works out well. We were married on... Five three three, but sometimes it's five five three. You know, we're like Cinco de Mayo too, and so it all kind of it all kind of blends together in our house. But generally, the more important something is to it to us, the less we want to forget. As Americans, there's one day out of the year that we set aside to remember a significant event in the life of our country. We usually commemorate uh, with apple pie and baseball and baked beans and fireworks. And in honor of Disciple Now, baked beans and fireworks are not necessarily together. I just wanted to be clear about that. Uh, I've celebrated this day in Washington, D.C. And the first time I realized that Washington, D.C. was built in a swamp uh, because it was so hot, the 4th of July. And uh, I've celebrated this day in Huntington Beach. If you ever get the chance to go to Huntington Beach, California and celebrate uh, 4th of July, man, it is, it is incredible. The fireworks show that they'll do there. Uh, Tara's family always does a big celebration at their house. You're always welcome if you're in Tupelo on the 4th of July. And I've also celebrated plenty of times in my grandmother's front yard. And uh, I remember one time, you know, things can get confusing to kids, like lighting fireworks and what you're supposed to throw down and what you're not. And I've shared with you before, there's an object that you use to light the firework. Do you know what that little object is called, you know? Yeah, look at you. It's called the punk. So if you... If someone ever calls you a punk, you'd be like, I'm not an object to like something with, right? So there's a punk, and then there's a firework. And one day, we were, we were lighting these things, and I had the punk and the firework. And, and I ran down, and I lit the firework, but I threw the punk. And uh, this is where I would remind you, I was in the gifted program at Leesville. And, uh, and so my family is like, no, you know, and I was like, ah, and it blew up, you know, but not my hand, praise the Lord. And so... That was a a day that I clearly remember. What day am I talking about? Yes, Groundhog's Day. It is such a special day that we commemorate, and of course, the 4th of July. Now, why do we do it every year? What is it that we really want to remember? Why does our country want to remember that day? Good, there's lots of whispering. This is where as a pastor, I I hear whispering and nothing all at the same time. It's our freedom. Thank you. There's a good word. It's our freedom. It's our independence. And we want to be reminded, who did we gain freedom from? 
England, right? In, in one sense, and that's one of my favorite things. So if the Queen of England comes over here and she's like, I'd like some Grey Poupon. You'd be like, you have no authority over me. We deposed you, lady, right? So, uh, but I would be gentle, and because of Christ, we would serve, right? And we would give her some French's mustard, right? Anyways, that's another joke. But uh, we want to remember our independence. We want to remember when we were set free, and we want to remember that it came at a cost, came at a price. Let me ask you a question. Did Israel have an Independence Day they celebrated? Do you know this from church history, from Old Testament history? Did they have a, a day that they celebrated? All right, what was, what was that day called? The Passover. That's exactly right. If you'll take your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 26. And Israel had a day that it celebrated its independence, and it was called the Passover. And as we study our passage today in Matthew 26, we are going to, should the Lord give us the next few Sundays and Good Friday, we're going to walk through Matthew 26, 27, and 28. We'll walk through the crucifixion on Good Friday. We'll have a service here that night at 6.30. You're all welcome to come. I hope that you will. And then on that Sunday, we'll focus on the resurrection. But between now and then, we're, we're slowly making our way. And as you see our candles here, they're to remind us that week by week, we draw closer to the time in which our sins will be laid on Christ and the darkness in which that represents and uh, the price that will be paid. Where we pick up today in Matthew 26, we're actually going to cover verses 1 through 30, but we're going to read uh, beginning in verse 17 in a moment. And where we pick up, Jesus and his disciples and a ton of other people are in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But Jesus is not in town just to celebrate it, friends. Jesus is in town to ultimately fulfill it and to supersede what we've seen from the Old Testament. And so while everyone else is looking backward and remembering God's redemption, Jesus is keenly aware that the greatest redemption is going to take place in the next 24 hours. The greatest exodus or independence day the world has ever seen is only about 24 hours away as Jesus is here, uh, and even less, even less. Not everyone had eyes to see it, and so my prayer is that the Lord would grant us eyes to see as we remember redemption today and the true Passover lamb. Would you stand with me? We're going to begin reading in verse 17 and read through verse 30 in Matthew 26. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Father, we thank you for this passage, and thank you for the opportunity to 
study this in our language. We are keenly reminded today that there are still people groups who lack scripture in their language. And we ask that you would uh, provide for those that are immersed with groups even now trying to translate the scripture. We pray that you would provide for them intellectually as well as spiritually as well as through linguistics, Father. We pray also for uh, those that are yet to have anyone come to them. Father, would you send folks to these places and to these people who still lack scripture. I pray that we would be very grateful for what we have in front of us. But Father, unless your spirit lights it up, it is just words on a page. So would your spirit anoint your word? And would you teach us? And would you help us to remember redemption today? Would you help us to see the true Passover lamb? It's in your name we pray. Amen. There are just uh, three aspects from this passage that I would have you walk out and remember. I, I would hope that you would remember the preparations. I hope that you will remember the rejection. And probably most importantly, I hope that you'll remember the substitution. So as you walk away from this passage today, I want you to remember the preparations. We're going to talk about them a little bit. But I want you to also remember the rejection, as we'll see from Judas. And then ultimately, the substitution. You want to remember the substitution because Jesus dies our death. As we pick up in verse 17, it says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, in uh, Israel's history, you had the Passover that was one day, and then you had a seven-day uh, period called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What eventually happened as these became combined, combined and it became a, an eight-day celebration that was synonymous with each other, though the Passover would be the very first day and the rest of it would be the unleavened bread, it kind of all became known as the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so this is the first day of that. Uh, we would uh, ultimately see Jesus is going to be crucified on a, on a Friday, and so this would most likely be Thursday that his... Uh, that he's gathered here to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Uh, as we see here, there are going to be preparations. We're going to learn from one of the other gospel writers that's actually Peter and John that, God is, that Jesus is going to send ahead of him to these preparations. And he tells them, look for the man who's carrying the water. And it's not every man who would carry water in those days. And so he would certainly be standing out. And whether this has been prearranged or how it works, Jesus has a place for them. It would be important because according to the custom, you needed to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem in the, within the city walls. And you also had to use a lamb that had been slaughtered at the temple. And the only day that they would have Passover day from 3 to 5 is when these animals were to be killed at twilight. And that's why as Jesus is going to go out from here, I've told you before, he's going to cross the Kidron Valley to go to the Mount of Olives. And because of the sheer volume, they'll say close to 250,000 lambs would be slaughtered at a typical Passover. The sheer volume of that occurring, the drain from the temple would go down to the Kidron Valley. And so for multiple days, it would have a crimson red that was flowing through it. And so even as Jesus crosses the Kidron Valley to go up to the Mount of Olives, he's stepping through the blood of all those lambs, ultimately with him being the ultimate lamb of god and so all of these people are trying to pack in and so the fact that you're going to have a room that's big enough to celebrate the passover you couldn't have less than 10 or more than 20 you had to have the the right amount of lamb and you had to have the the right amount of folks and so you had to have a, a place to be able to celebrate this 
together, and so we see these. But what I want you to know is where we're picking up. You see the word prepare and preparations, but these were not the only preparations. I want to show you three other preparations that come before this in the passage. Those preparations are the preparation of the beloved, the preparation for burial, and the preparation for betrayal. And I studied with Adrian Rogers, and so I just was inspired with alliteration today. I'm just kidding. But you have the preparation of the beloved. I want you to look back in how Matthew 26 begins. Parents, let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to teach your children something and you use repetition? Have you ever engaged repetition? How many of you have found that it's working for you? All right, sometimes it works for you. As I always say, you know, Dr. Ray would tell us, keep throwing it against the wall and eventually something will stick, right? So Jesus has been trying to prepare his disciples. Matthew 26, verse 1 and 2, it says this, When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered, be delivered up to be crucified. I want you to hold your place there and just turn back to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 Jesus has walked uh, the disciples to uh, Caesarea Philippi, and Peter's had this incredible confession that Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus says, my father has revealed this to you. Beginning in verse 21, Jesus says, now I can tell you some things. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so it's, I always love this passage because the previous paragraph, Peter got it right. The very next paragraph, Peter got it wrong. And uh, the difference was Peter confessed what the Father had revealed to him. You're the Christ. The next uh, passage, Peter puts his own spin on what things should be. Jesus is trying to tell them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And that doesn't work out for guys who are really hoping that he's going to liberate them from Rome and that they're going to get a part of this. And they've been walking this uh, bandwagon with him all the way through. And one, they just don't get it. But that's, that's the first time. Look in chapter 17, verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So Jesus tells them a second time. If you turn to chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Chapter 20, verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Which gets us back to chapter 26, which would now make the fourth time as you begin this chapter. And he says in verse 2, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So I take us on that lengthy journey to remind you that the cross is not an accident. Jesus knew full well what was coming. And so not only were they going to make preparations for the Lord's Supper, Jesus all along had been trying to prepare the beloved. He tried to tell them what was coming. And we're going to see ultimately they're going to be scattered. But next week is such a great word of hope. If you have ever betrayed Jesus, next week is such a great word for us. Because he's going to say, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. He knows they're going to scatter those who love him. And yet he's going to be merciful and gracious. And even Peter, who's going to deny him very clearly, the Lord is going to reinstate him. Such a great, great word for those of us who struggle in our own journeys with sanctification. But 
That's next week. Here, what I want you to see is that Jesus, how many of you would say Jesus clearly knew what was coming? All right? Jesus knew what was coming. Now, what's interesting is the religious leaders wanted to kill him, just not right now. Verse 3 in Matthew 26 says, The chief priests and elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And as I shared with you last week, Herod obviously tried to kill him when he was a baby. You have his hometown crowd that tried to throw him over the mountain. Casey preached that passage a few weeks ago. And it's funny, when they wanted to kill him, they couldn't. And now when they don't want to kill him, they will. And it's because they don't ultimately set the timetable. This is the right time and the right place as they're there to celebrate Passover in God's redemptive calendar. This is the right time and the right place. I told you I want you to remember the preparations. And here's why I want you to remember the preparations for the beloved. Number one, because this was God's sovereign plan. This was God's timetable. Don't ever believe that Jesus was just a man who got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus intentionally headed to this place, which is reason number two that I want you to remember the preparations. It's because this Jesus knew what was coming and still walked in the city. Friends, do you see it? Jesus knew what was coming, and he still walked in the city. And I don't mean he just saw the brutality and the scourging. Jesus saw the wrath of God that was going to be laid on him for our sin and still walked into the city. So here's how we can be encouraged. Friends, whatever he's asking you to do that seems very difficult at this point, that same Jesus will strengthen you to fulfill it. May we have Christ's boldness. And may we have Christ's passion for doing God's will. Why is he walking in? Because he came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. May we have that same lens. So I would encourage you, remember the preparation of the beloved. And that this same Jesus might encourage us, whatever he's asking you to do, he will provide the courage to do it. Remember the preparation for the burial. The next thing we see in Matthew 26, it actually will take us back to the Saturday before And this happens at Bethany. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. How many of you have ever heard this story before? Anyone? How many of you know how it's going to end? What is she going to do with it? You know it. Okay. Well, here's what she does. She poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, how many of you love that they're not saying it out loud where Jesus can hear it? They're saying it off to the side, but Jesus knows what they're saying. How many of you love it when Jesus corrects you? And uh, you're like, how'd you know about that, right? It's one of those moments. Basically what Jesus says in the other Gospels, he says, leave her alone. He says, leave her alone. He says, why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, in the whole world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. So we see the preparation of the beloved, but we also see the preparation of the burial. She takes this very expensive perfume, which uh, would have been over a year's wages. So it's like taking your whole year's salary something that you've purchased, something that you've kept. And I'm sure she would have enjoyed it. How many of you think that she would have enjoyed that perfume herself? She takes it and she pours it over Christ as a preparation for burial, uh, though Jesus is giving that interpretation for us. I want to encourage you to remember this and for two reasons. 
I want you to remember this because when Christ is your treasure, then you can use all lesser treasures as means of blessing him. If the perfume itself had been her treasure, then she would have held on to it. The perfume wasn't her treasure, friends. Christ was. And it was nothing to give that up to him. I wonder if we're holding on to treasures ourselves and not wanting to use them as a means to bless God. I wonder if we're using those as a means to an end themselves. Whatever these lesser treasures are, when Christ is your ultimate treasure, you can freely give them. And here's the second thing I want you to remember. This is not forced. This devotion flows out of her. And I wonder if that's how it is in our lives, friends. You see, if worship is forced, something is wrong. Worship should be something that we can't help because we're so captivated by the cross. We're so captivated by the substitutionary atonement that it makes a difference every day. We don't have to schedule a yearly revival because we're constantly in a state of revival because we're meditating on what Christ has accomplished and we never get over that. And so it's not that it has to be conjured up. I can't help it. And so no one, she's not like, well, I don't want to give it to him. Friends, she longs to do this. I wonder if that's the cry of our hearts. I wonder if we want to bless Jesus in such a way because he has so blessed us. Well, uh, preparation for the betrayal. We see that not everyone valued Christ in the same way. Verse 14 says, one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, this common Christ's first slave. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. I want you to remember this betrayal. See, Judas is on the inside, and there are numerous reasons proposed for why Judas is going to do this. None of us have a clear reason why. We'll know that once Jesus confronts him in a little bit, Luke is going to say that the devil entered Judas, and he went on about his business. And we will talk about those things further at another time, but What I want you to process and remember the preparation for betrayal is, at what price do we sell Jesus out? At what price do we sell Jesus out? You see, Judas is here and he goes in and maybe he is disillusioned. Maybe he is the zealot and Jesus isn't the Jesus he thought he was going to be. And so what will he sell him out for? He sells him out for 30 pieces of silver, which would have been uh, three months of wages. I love these two passages being together because they show you how different people value Christ differently. One wants to know what she can give. One wants to know what he can get. And so, friends, I don't know if it's 30 pieces of silver, but I know that lots of folks sell Jesus out for much less. So remember the preparation for betrayal. So as we think about Matthew 26, remember the preparations. They're in this city on purpose. This is where they're supposed to be. It's no accident. Jesus has walked in knowing full well. Remember as he tried to prepare the beloved. Remember as he was prepared for burial. And remember as the betrayal was prepared. Now, I want you to remember the rejection. If there was anyone who could buzzkill a party with some zinger of a teaching, it was Jesus. (laughs) Look in verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. So they're laid back. Normally, Jews would sit up to eat meals, but they had taken on some of the Greek custom, and particularly at Passover, they would be reclining. You'll remember the original Passover, though, was to be celebrated how? Standing up. And the original was to be standing up. Over the years, it evolved more into a, a meal. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, and, and one thing I just want to point out, as they're reclining at the table... 
this preparation that allowed in this conversation, there were things that went on. And John 13 through 17 gives you incredible knowledge about what went on. And one of my favorite things is these, <laughs> these knuckleheads get in an argument over who's the greatest. And while they're arguing who's the greatest, Jesus takes off his outer garment and he wraps a towel around him and he washes their feet. And one of the 12, all 12 are there, all 12 have had their feet washed. One of the 12 is Judas. I remember one time we worked a camp in Mississippi the first summer that Tara and I were uh, married. And there was a, a counselor that yelled at Tara. And I saw it from afar. I was coming. I'd been talking to adult counselors. And, and I saw this kind of transpire. And, uh, and, and it's a good thing for all of us, I feel like, that I wasn't able to catch him in that moment. He left. And then I couldn't find him. I was looking all over campus, and I called our director and said, you better find him before I do, because this was a less than holy moment in my life. Man had yelled at my wife, smackdown is what ensues, right? That's, that's what the Bible teaches. So uh, as I could not find him, what began to happen was the Spirit began to convict me. And the image that the Spirit brought to mind was Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus washed Judas's feet. And in that moment, in the summer of 2003, it would be something from these preparations that the Spirit used to move me to obedience and forgiveness. And so when I saw him, I hugged him instead of hitting him because I've made plenty of mistakes in my own journey. And it was this image of the Lord's gracious mercy that the Lord used in my own life. So they're reclining at the table, and as they were eating... You know, typically you're having a party, everyone's eating, it's like, hey, and Jesus just decides to bust this out. Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Look at this. It says, and they were very sorrowful. <laughs> they were like, man, what just happened? And they began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And the way they're asking is implying a negative, hoping that he's going to say no. And, and more of a, it's not me, right? You know, it's not me, right? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Well, that's not real clear because they've all done it, right? So now we're like, okay, he's going to tell us who it is. And they're like, the one who dipped his hand in the same dish I did. They're like, dog, that was me, you know? And so it doesn't clear it up, and they're still panicked and anxiety. And then he writes, and he says, that, he doesn't write, but it's recorded by Matthew. The Son of Man goes as it's written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I would say to us, obviously in our, in our day today, there's a very popular book that's come out, Rob Bell, and Love Wins, and this universalism thought. Uh, if there is no eternal punishment, there would be no need for Jesus to say what he says at this point. He's implying a punishment that is coming, and otherwise it wouldn't have mattered if he'd been born. Just a word in our contemporary day. Here's Judas, Judas who would betray him. Matthew writes this, but Matthew doesn't know that at the time. The only one who knows it's John, and that's because Peter was curious. So if you read John's account, Peter was curious. He asked John. John asked Jesus. Jesus kind of tells John, but John doesn't tell Peter, and it's really funny. So uh, that's just a little uh, Last Supper uh, um, humor. So and you should also know it wouldn't have been a long rectangular table like, uh, who is it, Michelangelo? Who is it that painted the? Uh, da Vinci, right, see, they're all the same. As Monet painted with the lily pads, and they said, <laughs> it, it, it would not have been just a long rectangular. There was, uh, the idea is more these U-shaped type of cushions, but just, uh, just a word on contemporary art because uh, Da Vinci's contemporary. So <laughs> Judas, who would betray him, answered, 
Is it I, Rabbi? And here's Jesus' response. You've said so yourself. You've said so yourself. At this point, at some point, Matthew doesn't record it, but Judas leaves. We know that because Matthew's going to later say Judas comes with a crowd. So for Judas to come with a crowd, at some point Judas left. Uh, and we know from the other gospel writers, Judas gets mad, he leaves, and Satan enters him, and he goes about his business. Here's why I want you to remember the betrayal, remembering the rejection. Uh, I've obviously already uh, told you that Jesus washed Judas' feet. I also love that Jesus knows, and he's letting Judas know, I know what's coming, and I'm not going anywhere. I know what's coming, and I'm not going anywhere, Judas. I know what you're doing, and it's not because you caught me. I know what you're doing. He's letting him know. But here's why I want you to really remember the rejection. One can be around the things of Christ and not be devoted to Christ. You can be around the things of Christ. Judas was the treasure. Judas walked for three years. You can be around the things of Christ and not devoted to Christ. Number two, rejection of Christ is eternally dreadful and never worth what it costs. You're going to read later in Matthew 27, Judas is going to hang himself. But as Jesus has said, this betrayal is going to be costly, not just in this life, but the life to come. Rejection of Jesus is eternally dreadful and never worth what it costs. So as our youth have focused on this, why Christianity? For all those in the world who would reject Christ, it will not be what it, worth what it's going to cost them ultimately. And it will be eternally dreadful and awful. Last one, when following God's plan, don't be surprised if others sell you out. Just a, a practical application. Jesus is going about the Father's business. Not everyone's on board with that. So for those of you who are doing God's will, just don't be surprised if it's even close friends who sell you out. But just because they don't get it doesn't mean you should stop. Just because they don't get it doesn't mean you should stop. All right, let me bring us to the last one. Remember the substitution. And this is where we want to, to land here. Verse 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I want you to hold your place, because what Jesus is doing here, he's instituting a new meal. And he is the fulfillment of what I read at the beginning of the service, Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. This is where it's happening. And what Jesus does is going to achieve that. But I want you to see the first redemption and the first meal. So hold your place here and turn back to Exodus 12. The very reason that they were in the city, as some of you have already said, is they were celebrating the Passover. And in Exodus 12, uh, we find out more about that. In Exodus 12, God's people are in bondage to Egypt. But he has said in Exodus 6, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And one of the things that's important for you to know is that as the Lord's Supper, as they would celebrate the Passover meal, they would have four cups of wine. And each one of those cups would be a quotation from Exodus 6, 6 and 7, where the Lord says, I will redeem you. And I love that in the particular cup, when Jesus says, this is the cup, it would have been the particular verse that says, with an outstretched arm, I bring salvation. With an outstretched arm, I bring salvation. 
In Exodus 12, beginning in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So God is saying, I'm making a new calendar for you. This is going to be the new year. And he's going to want them to remember it. He says, they shall then take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And I will say right there, the bitterness of the herbs, being reminded of the bitterness of the slavery that they've been in, but the sweetness of the lamb would overtake that. But the lamb would be, it would be uh, baked there whole, the, the whole body, to be reminded of what was actually taking place. This animal is giving its life so that your firstborn doesn't have to. And so they would then take the blood and they would put it on those lentil and on the, on the doorposts. And then the family stayed behind. And the reason they needed to, because on that night, as we've said, Israel's greatest problem is not Egypt on that night. Israel's greatest problem is God is coming over. And what he says, he goes on to say in verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Do you see now why it's called Passover? And it's because God is going to pass over those in which the blood is on the doorpost. And so he says, no plague will befall you to destroy you. And when I strike, when I strike the land of Egypt. So again, their greatest problem is their own sin. And so God passes over. And so for those of Israel who have slaughtered this lamb and put the blood, they stay behind that blood all night. They don't come out. And it is the blood that keeps them safe. And as they come out, you find out what happens when you don't have a substitute. And that's recorded later in verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. What happens when there is no substitute? Judgment. That's what happens. You get what your sin deserves. And so as God passes over Egypt... It's not that Israel was any holier. Israel was not. Their sin needed to be covered as well. God just provided a substitute so the next morning they could hug their firstborn while the Egyptians would have to bury their firstborn. One had received mercy. One had received judgment. And all was fair, friends. All was fair. But there was a substitute. God is going to liberate them from the bondage of Egypt. And he says, I want you to remember this. Look in verse 24. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. 
So God's people are in bondage to Egypt. God's saved through a substitute. And God's redemption is to be remembered. He says, I don't want you to ever forget this. So as we celebrate our 4th of July, so Israel celebrated Passover to be, to be reminded when they were liberated. And so they could pass it down to the next generation. God redeemed us. God set us free. And I love that he used a meal. I think that God has some Baptist leanings. He uses a meal so that they might remember it. And so does Jesus as we have a new meal. So this is what they're there for. Teach your kids and don't forget what I did. And so now in Matthew 26, we're picking up and Jesus is celebrating celebrating this feast with his disciples. But the problem in Matthew 26 is not Egypt now. The problem in Matthew 26 is sin and death. God's people are now being held captive by an even greater captor, not Pharaoh of Egypt, but sin and death itself. And so Jesus comes and he comes and now it is not a substitute lamb. I told you 250,000 lambs most likely died the same day that Jesus died. But their blood combined could not achieve what his did alone. He was the lamb. And that's what he does as he interprets this meal back in Matthew 26. He says, this is my body and this is my blood. And when you had a covenant, it would be solidified by the blood. And Jesus says, it's my blood that's going to ratify this covenant. And now you're going to have a new independence day. You are going to be set free from sin and death, and it will no longer have a hold on you. And you're going to remember it this way. I want you to teach your kids, and I want you not to forget. And that's why when we do this on the first Sunday of every month, it's not ritual. It is remembrance. It is proclamation that we teach our children, I never forget the day Jesus set me free. That's what we proclaim. And that's what Jesus wanted us to do. We remember Christ died my death. That's what we teach them. That's what we teach them. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. They would have gone out after he tells us, verse 30, he said they would have sung a hymn. And the hymn they would have most likely sung by the end here is Psalm 118, and this is where we'll close in this time. I'll ask our deacons, our deacons, if you would come forward, we're going to prepare the table here. I'll ask the rest of you to turn to Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, this is what they would have sung. After Jesus says, I've got a new meal that I want you to remember, before they went out, they would have sung this in Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Who's the festal sacrifice, friends? Who's the festal sacrifice? You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Friends, we call this the Lord's Supper, and we do so because it's a meal that commemorates what he's told us about his body and the wine. It's called the Eucharist. The word Eucharist means giving thanks. It's called communion, as it talks about our participation in this together. As we engage this table, there are only a couple things that we would remind you of. First of all, this is for those who've trusted in the Lamb of God. This is for those who are in Christ. And the second thing, you don't have to be a member here. You just have to be a member in Christ. Second, that we would be in right standing with him and with one another. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a time just to pray. Prepare your hearts. And as always, should there be any reconciliation that needs to occur before you participate, then we want to encourage that. I never forget the day my father died. He died on February 23rd, 1999. And every year, no matter how it is, I, I, I always remember that anniversary. And it leaves a mark on you and you ponder. And for me, that's now become more of a yearly it's not a weekly it's not a daily it's a monthly but certainly every year i remember the day in which he died what i think about with christ is i never want to forget his death though i think about my own father's yearly i want to think about christ's daily because his death is my death and i want to remember it and this is one way that we proclaim that in the table but friends i want to encourage you that you do it every day because if you do then you're not going to be stingy with your stuff, you're going to bless Jesus with your stuff. It's his stuff. If you meditate on Christ, then you're not going to be afraid of rejection and betrayal. You're going to keep walking as the Lord encourages you. And then you meditate on Christ, you'll know that he walked right into this city. And the Jesus who did that is the Jesus who will give you the strength to do all that he asks you to do. Remember redemption, friends. Don't ever forget it. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. And we mark that today and gladly proclaim. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. Why don't you take some time and pray and thank the Lord, and then we will disperse the elements.